Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the soaring death rate from drug overdoses in British Columbia. You just heard the new numbers on the news there. In the month of November, more than two hundred deaths from toxic drug overdoses we are now up to seven deaths a day from toxic drug overdoses in bc this is despite a lot of the harm reduction measures that have been introduced by the government officials though want to double down on the harm reduction plan we have here in bc including widening safe supply of drugs including without a prescription got eleanor sterko standing by to discuss have a listen to this here first now this is jennifer charlesworth british columbia's representative for children and youth. She's a big supporter of safe supply of drugs for drug users, and she says it should be massively expanded to include drugs without a prescription, including for underage users, for youth. Have a listen to this. We have to be open to the notion of a prescribed safer supply and, frankly, a non-prescribed safer supply. For some young people, they're not going to go to a pharmacist. They don't have access to the doctor. Yeah, okay, so give drugs to young people without a prescription. That's what the BC Children and Youth Advocate wants. BC's chief coroner is uh, is winding up her term. She's also calling for non-prescription safe supply. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Eleanor Sturko, BC United MLA in Surrey. Very pleased to welcome Eleanor back. Eleanor, thank you for coming on today. Oh, Mike, thanks for having me on this Friday. You bet. I appreciate it a lot. First, let's talk about these numbers here. So more than 200 overdose deaths in November, we're up to seven a day. I mean, these numbers just start to become sort of numbing or meaningless in a way. What do they say to you? Well, you know, I had a very um, pointed conversation with uh, someone last night, actually, and they said to me, you know, we're having the equivalent of four jumbo jets worth of individuals dying in British Columbia on an annual basis. And if we actually had four jumbo jets crash in B.C., every year, what we would be seeing is changes to uh, navigation, maybe they'd lengthen runways, you know, we would be urgently trying to save those jumbo jets. And yet we have the same loss with people who are suffering from addictions and drug use, and we don't see the same kind of urgency. They're not treating this like an emergency. It's absolutely devastating to know that 200 people lost their lives to what is largely a preventable circumstance. And I just, it's shameful. It is absolutely shameful that we continue to let this happening. Yeah, we see the chief coroner of British Columbia here, Lisa LaPointe, also calling out the government here, saying that she is also uh, disappointed, to to put it mildly, in the overdose death numbers that we're seeing in the province. She was had very pointed criticism here for the B.C. government here in the last few days. She is retiring in February, and it looks like she want, she's going out with in uh, guns blazing here. Um, let's listen to Adrian Dix, the health minister, responding to these complaints. One of the things that the coroner said was, she said, I she expressed doubt that government is even reading her reports on all these deaths. And the health minister, Adrian Dix, was asked about that yesterday. Let's listen. I can tell you that when the coroner issues reports on whatever subjects, uh, they get detailed attention at every level. She should know uh, that uh, she's had an extraordinary and positive impact. doesn't mean that everything we recommend is 
what happens in the time that we want it. Okay, Eleanor Sturko, your thoughts? Well, I, I don't be surprised if we see more attacks actually um, on this government as we this public official leaves their job. Um, you know, I'm really by sort of ethical means not really supposed to speak about people who are not elected, but they are serving the public in those capacities. But we've seen some division between the government and the Office of the Chief Coroner, and I would expect to see a lot more pressure coming from her. That being said, I, I actually am not in favor of some of the recommendations, as you know, that they've put forward. But one of the things that I found really actually disturbing was that at the end of um, the brief that came out from the coroner um, just a couple of days ago, it actually talks about the counterfeit safe supply that was located in the interior. What's concerning mm -hmm. for me is that this was actually something that Jennifer Charlesworth, uh, Bonnie Henry, Lisa LaPointe, um, and others brought forward at a press conference that was in like June or July of 2023. And at that time, there was a knowledge that it existed, the government had knowledge, and yet not a single warning that I am aware of ever went out to tell people that there is counterfeit safe supply that's circulating um, from drug dealers that is putting people at immense risk. Um, and so, you know, I, I see this as a means of you know, public officials trying to use that to leverage their point of view that we need a legal and regulated system where people can just, you know, go and buy drugs willy nilly. But I'm, I'm telling you that you, they haven't done anything, this government, to actually warn people about drugs. You, you see everywhere about how to use safely, but never a message about how, oh. you know, even even drugs like Tylenol are actually toxic. It's not a toxic drug supply. Drugs are toxic. And we need to help people understand that we need they need help to come forward so that we can stabilize them, make sure that they're pain free, make sure they're yeah. withdrawal free and help them move to the next step. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about this safe supply issue, because this comes up all the time now when we talk about these issues. We just heard it on the news again now um, that safe supply is the answer for many of these officials. So the idea is if people are going to use these drugs anyway and they're dying from these toxic street drugs, give them pharmaceutical grade lab tested drugs, notably Dilaudid, which is the safe supply drug here in, in B.C., and at least then, if they're going to do the drugs anyway, well, give them these drugs so at least they don't die from a toxic overdose. Let me now let me play a clip here of the chief coroner explaining this rationale and why this why she supports this and wants to expand it. This is Lisa Lapointe. Let's listen. Millions of people died as a result of cigarette smoking. The response wasn't to criminalize cigarette smoking and force people to use black market cigarettes that may contain poison. The response was a measured public health response, education. Uh, reducing harms. Yeah, so she compares it to cigarette smoking. Oh okay. my gosh. Well, I'll, Go ahead. I got two thoughts because, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I feel absolutely frustrated. Okay, so two things. The first is that actually there are black market cigarettes uh, and it's proliferated British Columbia and Canada to a very terrible extent. There's very little enforcement done on black market cigarettes that actually are funding things like terrorism, funding things like organized crime and actually are putting people's health at risk. So, you know, um, the argument that, you know, this is exactly like cigarettes is is ridiculous. But but even deeper than that is that we've been here before, Mike. We've been here where vast amounts of safe, quote unquote, drugs were in the community. Uh, and that's how we got into the opioid crisis in the first place. When Purdue Pharma essentially allowed a flooding of oxycodone to go onto um, the streets to be to be, you know, prescribed in vast quantities unsupervised for the most part um, to people is how we actually got into the opioid crisis. So how is it that doing the exact same thing as we're currently as a government suing companies for the damages of 
Why was yeah. doing that exact same thing, flooding the market with Dilaudid, which is actually made by Purdue Pharma, by the way, very ironic. Um, why would we do that again? So you know, concern- I'm not saying that we should. Sorry, go ahead. Let, let me ask you about your concern around uh, diversion, because this is the big one, is that we we have this safe supply program. We are hearing calls to expand it drastically, maybe without a pres- make these drugs available without a prescription, make them potentially available to young people, to underage drug users. So this is what we're hearing from our, our officials. So tell me about your concern on the um, the diversion issue, that some of these so-called safe supply drugs are being sold on a, a, a black market and potentially hooking new drug users on, on opioids. Where, where is the evidence for that? How do we know that's happening? <laughs> Well, just wait for Bonnie Henry's report to come out. Do you remember in the summer, the same press conference where we first learned that the government knew that there was counterfeit dilaudids out there being made in pill presses and marketed by drug dealers as quote unquote safe supply? Well, in that exact same press conference that all the media attended, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry said that they were going to be doing um, you know, a study of the, the safe supply review. In fact, I've seen the copies of the survey that they did and Lots of doctors and addictions experts provided information for that report that will be coming out that acknowledges all the things you just mentioned, that there are new users, there are vulnerable and novel drug users who've been um, given access to Dillies, whether it was the actual safe supply or whether they thought they were taking safe supply and were actually taking an illicit pressed pill Mm. made by organized criminals. And, you know, for me, it's like we are not doing even a good job of of what is regulated right now, which is medically supervised. And so it's frightening to me to think that we would then expand that to something that's not supervised. The information is going to be coming out. It is there. I have seen the survey. Um, I'm very curious to see how that ends up being translated to the public when it probably quietly gets released, maybe over Christmas time even. Um, Mm. I just find it very concerning. I, I was very happy to see that the government actually sort of pulled back the reins and said, no, we're not going to be moving to, um, you know, non, non-prescription, non-medical. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things, you know, I, I put a news release this morning because I really hope the government will urgently take an uptake of a virtual opioid dependency program. You know, that can include access to safe supply, but instead of having um, no plan and continuing to keep people um, suffering in their addictions, we need to have a plan where we stabilize people with pharmaceutical okay. alternatives. Okay. And, and then to get them the help they need. All right, here we go now with the Vancouver guy who bought a brand new electric vehicle, had to buy a replacement battery for the vehicle, $60,000 for a new battery. Are, are you kidding me? This is more than the price tag of the actual car brand new. Bought the car last year for 55000 I got Zach Spencer standing by to discuss Motormouth Canada on YouTube. Give him a follow on there. And I recommend his recent video on this story. 588,000 views of this video in just two days. 4,000 comments on YouTube. <laughs> this is an unbelievable story. Got Zach standing by. Let's have a listen to part of the video here. Have a listen. 
Boy, have we got a story to tell you. Imagine this, a 2022 Hyundai Ioniq 5 that costs $55,000 brand new, getting a quote for over $60,000 Canadian to replace the battery more than the car is brand new. Well, I have to replace the battery, otherwise it's going to, they said it's going to explode anytime. That's how they told me. There's a big problem here, not just with Hyundai, but the entire industry when it comes yeah. to battery replacements. Okay, that's Zach Spencer on his YouTube video, which I recommend to you. You also heard the voice there of the car owner, Kyle Sue. All right, let's discuss it with Zach now. Zach Spencer, automotive journalist, Motormouth Canada. Hey, Zach, thanks for coming on. Anytime, Mike. Yeah, this is quite a story. So uh, my wife, Andrea, and I host uh, our YouTube channel together, and we do, we do a segment called Questions, Coffee, and Cars, and somebody asked about battery replacements. And we had talked about, you might have seen the news, uh, Global in Ontario uh, broke a story about a $50,000 battery replacement for a 2017 or 18 Ionic as well. There was another one where the guy in Kelowna needed a new battery, and the price was 15000 for a hybrid. So we were chatting about this, and then this young man, Kyle Sue, reached out to us after that video and said, boy, have I, this is my situation. So he has a, a one-year-old car. The car is, has, hasn't even been in the market for uh, over a year. Um, he ran over something, and then he went to uh, the dealership to get it checked, and they found a scratch on the bottom of the battery protection cover. And because of that scratch... Um, they deemed it to be uh, a, a problem with the whole battery. And so he said, okay, well, let's get it fixed. Uh, this is under warranty. And they said, no, because you've damaged the bottom of the car, the, the, the warranty is void. You're oh. on the hook. And he, said, and he said, okay, so how much is it then? We actually have, I, I encourage everybody to watch the video. We have pictures yeah. of the invoice. We have pictures of the scratch. We have an interview with Kyle. And um, the invoice number is over $56,000 just for the part, then labor to put it in, and then the tax, the bill comes to over $61,000. The car brand new is $55,000. So we reached out to Hyundai Canada. We deal with these people all the time. We review their cars. We have a good relationship with them. And we asked them some very pointed questions, and they gave us a bit of a word salad reply about how they're working on their processes. They never denied the actual price of the replacement part is $56,000 plus installation, bringing it over to over sixty-one grand. Uh, so that's the situation. Obviously, he's not going to pay for the car twice. He's not going to buy the no. car and then pay, and pay more for the battery. So he gets in touch with ICBC. There's a bit of a problem here with ICBC. They just took um, the dealership's word on it. I don't think they did any uh, follow-up to actually find out if the battery needed to be replaced or there was just a scratch on the cover. They wrote the car off. And so mm. he's got a check. Um, and the, the good news is he bought some replacement insurance. You know, you're offered that when you buy a car. So yeah. he's, going to be made, he's going to be made whole on the price of the car. But the bigger story here, Mike, the real story behind all of this is why is the battery more expensive than the car? And that's the situation. So if you're driving around um, in an electric car, you could, be, you could run over something. He didn't even think he hit anything. Yeah. And you could scratch the bottom, and if there's any kind of damage to that battery pack, they will, in this situation, they, anyway, they wrote the whole thing off.
Yeah, no, it's a great video, and it's very detailed, and you've got it really sort of locked down solid here because a lot of the photos that you have in the video show exactly the condition of the car. And one of the things that surprised me, Zach, when I was watching it, is the damage. Like, obviously, the guy, the young guy who bought this vehicle, he ran over something, and there was obviously a little sort of scrape on the bottom of the car, but it doesn't look that... And it doesn't look that bad, right? Like, it just looks like a scratch on the outside of the battery case. So they were certain, though, they were insistent, though, the battery had to be replaced, though, right? Well, that's, they, uh, they uh, asked, yeah, so one of the problems here, okay, Mike, i just go one yeah. step farther. One of the problems yeah. is the dealer said it needs to be written off, and they contacted ICBC, and they took their word for it. This never yeah. got escalated to, to head office in Ontario. And so anybody that has, and this doesn't matter about electric cars or not, if you're in a situation where your spidey senses say there's something not quite right about this story, always escalate it to head office. Call their customer (laughs) care number, open a file, get the head office involved. They have technical experts, they have people that deal with this. Uh, So they they claim they could have had somebody diagnose the battery remotely, even from uh, Korea, where the car is made, but that never happened. The car was signed over to ICBC. He got the check. Apparently, the car is in a recycle yard now, uh, but it's gone. So it's Hmm. a word of warning. The... The electric car is the future. I've been on the fu- on the show here with you just even a week or so ago. It's going that way. It's not going to be all smooth sailing all the way along. That's what I yeah. always say. And yeah. so this is a this is a learning point for everybody. You have at the bottom of an electric car a battery that in this situation was damaged and it seemed quite easily. Now every manufacturer does it slightly differently. Uh, in the way they maybe protect the bottom of the car, but on every electric car, the battery is the lowest part of the car. So just keep that in mind. And and we ask over and over and over to these manufacturers when we're at their press events, when we're there to, br- to drive the vehicle brand new, how much is the battery? And they won't tell us. Oh. So now we actually have an invoice with the part number and the actual price is $56,000. I guarantee this has gone to uh, the top of head office in Canada, and it's gone all the way to Korea. This is something they're going to have to get ahead of because you cannot have batteries that cost more than the car. Yeah, no, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, speaking of Zach Spencer, Motormouth Canada on YouTube, the $60,000 replacement battery for a Hyundai EV, that's 60000 including the labor installed. <laughs> More than the price of the vehicle. So what is the answer, Zach, when, we, as you mentioned, there have been other sort of horror stories like this about the sticker shock for these replacement batteries just through, this, through the roof. What is the answer for that? Why is it so expensive? Well, the most expensive part of an electric car is the battery. That's just, yeah. that's just the case. And um, we've heard, had other people writing in the comments. You can, there's thousands of comments people saying, well, I live in Australia and the price of it is this, and I live in the U.S. and the price of the battery is this. It doesn't really matter. The price in Canada is $56,000, and they use this battery on most of their electric cars. So um, this is something to be aware of. And, and just and the impact for you and I, Mike, is you don't own an electric car. I don't own an electric car, but we're going to be paying through ICBC rates that are going to go up. If you're writing off otherwise a perfectly good one-year-old car, uh, to the tune of around sixty grand, um, 
That means that we're going to have more insurance claims for uh, situations like this. We've seen rates go up in other jurisdictions. In Britain, the cost to insure an electric car is way more than it is for a regular car. So these are all things hmm. we have to work through as we move towards electrification. We are heading that way. What the car companies do, what government does, what insurers do, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, and as you mentioned that this guy drove over something and there was uh, there was a scrape on the battery protective case on the bottom of the vehicle, and I think you said, Zach, that the battery in an EV is almost always at the bottom. Is that because of the weight of the battery? Is that why it's, they put it low in the vehicle like that? Well, they have to find a lot of room for it, right? So they can put it under the entire length. So it's basically, if you look at a skateboard, like a, like a skateboard a kid would ride, or maybe you still ride, I don't know, Mike. But if you look at a skateboard from the side, you've got the wheels at the front and the wheels at the back. And the board right. is in the middle. And the board, right. if you just replace that with a battery pack, that's really what an electric car is. And then they build the car over top of it. They even call them in the industry skateboards. So the bottom is exactly the same as a skateboard. That wooden piece is the same on a car. All along the bottom is where the battery sits. Okay, my guest is Zach Spencer talking about the Vancouver guy. $60,000 for a new battery for his new electric vehicle. The battery more expensive than the car. Let's go to your calls. Greg in Richmond. Hi, Greg. Go ahead. Uh, Zach, I got a question. Uh, This fellow scratched, ran over something and scratched the bottom of his car i'm sure there's some kind of a protective barrier under the battery they don't just have batteries hanging out there with no protection did that render the car like it wouldn't take a charge or the battery was deformed or you know rendered the car useless like it seems kind of stupid to me to write a sixty thousand dollar car off for a scratch in the bottom if you have a scratch in your oil pan you don't put a new engine in the car Good question, yeah, good Zach. Point. Um, I, I suggest you watch the video because we go through all of this. I'm just doing it a little quicker because uh, we don't have a lot of time. But watch the video. A lot of detail there. You're right. There is a cover on the bottom. Uh, the cover was scratched, and they have a little portal they look through it up into the battery. You can see the battery through this little hole they can open up. And they said the space between the battery cover and the battery itself is larger than it should be. Therefore, they deem there was some impact to the battery and the battery needs to be replaced what we said in the video and what i'm really perplexed about is back to your point why didn't they take the cover off why didn't they inspect the battery why didn't they uh, hook it up and run diagnostics why didn't they get korea involved I mean, they have engineers that could probably do all of that remotely. Um, I just don't understand how, okay, it's gone, get rid of it, get a new one, or, or uh, you know, pay it out on insurance. That's yeah. the problem. It's like there needs to be a whole process here. I would love to have specialty EV repair destinations where they can take out the battery, they can send it away. If there is an issue, repair what needs to be fixed and, and put it back in the yeah. car, but that's not the case right now. Yeah. John and Burnaby. Hi, John, go ahead. Uh, this is not Canadian. This is this happened in in Florida. A guy had an early Volt. I took it into a major GM dealership because he needed his battery replaced. Anyways, it ended up under pennies, thirty thousand dollars, and that's U.S. Thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, we have heard of similar horror stories, right, Zach? Oh yeah. I mean, you just have to do a quick Google search. Uh, we just thought it was interesting that this is a local person. 
Um, and uh, it's it's really what we're doing with this story is, yeah, it's fine. We get lots of views on it. That's great. But it's, a, it's our job as auto journalists is to review new cars. And we get asked by consumers all the time, what about this? What about that? And one of the biggest questions we get about EVs is, how much are the batteries? Well, now we actually yeah. have proof in Canadian dollars with a Canadian car. And this is just a teaching moment for me, for my wife, Andrea, who hosts the videos with me. Uh, together, I should say, and then for, you know, doing shows like this and letting people know uh, yeah. the the industry actually has to have better protocols in place and how to deal with all of these things. And Hyundai did come out and say, we changed our protocol. Now, every battery incident in Canada with Hyundai needs to escalate to head office. The dealer can't deal with it. They have to escalate it. So that's a good step. But does that mean anything's going to change? I don't know. Yeah. Emily in Maple Ridge. Hi, Emily. Go ahead. Hi, I test drove a second-hand Leaf in... Uh, can we hear? 20. Emily? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I can now. Go ahead, yeah. Okay, I test drove a, 2000, a Leaf in 2020, considering getting an electric car then, uh, and I asked specifically how much a new battery would cost, and I was told $8,000, which um, I did not go for because I drive at least twice a year out to see my daughter in Lethbridge, and... Uh, grandchildren <laughs> but um and i knew that it was going to be seven stops along the way to recharge that battery <laughs> yeah so, okay well that's a lot of money for a battery what uh zach what is the typical lifespan of one of these ev batteries before they have to be replaced well the the data is coming back now that there's more on the road and they have proven to be lasting longer than initially thought and we have stories of tesla's being really they have the largest fleet and they've had many of them running around with lots and lots of miles on them and, and it, it, it just yeah. depends where you live and how you drive it and the kind of charging you do i mean toyota for example um wants to have their batteries have a, the vast majority of its capacity still available i think it's 90 percent uh after 10 years so that's a lot of um uh, trust they're putting in the battery's going to last and it all comes down to how quickly you charge the battery how often you use the fast chargers and a bunch of different different things. But there's a lot of questions. One of the problems with electric cars, Mike, and I say this all the time, is in the old days when you bought a car, it was about passion, right? I love the engine, a great color, what a sexy looking car. Now it's clinical. It's all about a spreadsheet. How does what one works best for me based on the charge, based on the range? And it's it's a bit more of a of a heart over, uh, sorry, head over heart. And that's yeah. that's one of the issues with them. Okay, Zach, great job in this story, and I'm not surprised it's going viral here for you. So thanks a lot for coming on to talk about it today. Yeah, anybody want to watch, it's all in detail. Motor Mouth is the name of the YouTube channel. Go and watch it. Um, you'll find it interesting. Okay, let's have a little fun now and talk Christmas movies. My guest is Kurt Smakel, movie critic, podcast host, 3angrynerds.com is his website. Kurt, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, this is always a super fun topic. Now, I've selected a couple of Christmas movies that I think are the best of all time. You have a couple of uh, selections here as well. I'm going to go first here, Kurt. Now, mine are more, I think, more obvious obvious picks and you you picked a couple of uh, more obscure ones which which is your that is your forte as, as a movie guy but let's i'll okay. start go first this is the movie that i think is the best christmas movie we watch it every year at our family i, I must have watched this i don't know how many times i think it's great home alone let's listen where'd he go down here you big horse's ass 
Come and get me before I call the police. Come on. <laughs> the window? Why, are you scared, Marv? Are you afraid? <laughs> okay, I love it. I think it's a wonderful movie. Uh, I think that Macaulay Culkin is fantastic in it. Um, never get tired of watching it. I, I love the other characters in the movie. Joe Pesci is hilarious in the movie as the, as the hapless, uh, guy trying to break into the home. I love it, Kurt. Kurt, I would say that's my number one Christmas movie. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's great. It's a classic for a reason. I mean, people yeah. watch it every year because it's such a easy, fun watch. And, you know, not only does it have the Christmas spirit, but it's also just fun and entertaining as well, which I think uh, always makes for a good viewing experience. Yeah, I think it's a really fun one. I, I put that at the top of my list. Okay, Kurt, let's go to one of your picks here. Now, this is one that maybe I haven't seen this one. Maybe I should check it out. I think your picks are very interesting here. This is Kurt's pick. It's called 8-Bit Christmas. Let's listen. As I sat there and watched Timmy Keene blast away an inch from the screen to his evil heart's content, one thing became clear. I needed to get my own Nintendo. Fast. <laughs> okay, Kurt, tell me about this movie. Yeah, so this is a movie set in uh, 1980 Chicago. Uh, you've got a young boy who is enamored with the release of the Nintendo Entertainment System, which, you know, I'm sure uh, some, uh, you know, kids nowadays will go, what's that? But uh, that was a big <laughs> rage back in the 80s. And the movie is very Christmas themed, but obviously it's also the story of this kid who just wants to get this Nintendo. That's his uh, main goal. It's a fun and entertaining movie. It's got a little bit of kind of geeky fun humor, too. So if you're looking for something that's a little bit uh, different this holiday season, but still kind of has that Christmas spirit. Uh, this one fits the bill. Okay, 8-Bit Christmas is the title of that one. I like it. Okay, here's the other one I put on the top of my list. This has become kind of a running joke in our family, Kurt, because every year I insist that our family watch this. And, of course, there is the eternal debate about whether this is really should be considered a Christmas movie or not. You've probably already guessed what I'm talking about. It is Die Hard. I think it is a Christmas movie. I put it near the top of my list. Let's listen. Okay. Okay. Great selection of, of the clip there, uh, for sure by Corey. Welcome to the party, pal. One of the great uh, scenes in Die Hard. Okay, Kurt, where do you stand in this debate? Is it a Christmas movie or not? I mean, it's a Christmas movie, right? I think so. I think people who yeah. argue it's not don't understand that on the West Coast, we don't always get snow for Christmas. So, yeah, I mean, for, in my eyes, yes, it's a Christmas movie. Yes, there's maybe not snow, but hey, you know what? It, it fits the bill well enough. Yeah, I love it. And I enjoy watching it every year. OK, one more pick from Kurt here and then we'll take some calls from the listeners. This is The Holdovers. Let's listen. I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's you dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? Okay, tell me about this one, Kurt. Yeah, so funny enough, this is not only one of the best movies of the year, but it just so happens to be a Christmas movie. And the director, uh, Alexander Payne, he's come on record and said that he doesn't think it's a Christmas movie. But guess what? You know, if the uh, viewers embrace it as such, just, you know, go along with it. Uh, yeah, it's a story of a teacher who uh, gets stuck looking after uh, some children that got left behind at the school that he teaches at. 
And it's a really cool, interesting character study of all these different characters. They all come with issues and problems. And of course, the holidays kind of brings a lot of these issues to the forefront. It's a really, really beautiful film and uh, really well acted. Uh, Paul Giamatti's in it, and he's just incredible. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this movie gets some Oscar love this year. But uh, even if it doesn't, you should still watch it as a new holiday classic. Right. And this is a new movie. Like, it's in theaters right now, isn't it? Yeah, it came out like a few months ago. It's a really yeah. real new film, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Call me right now, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on yourself. Squeeze a call in right now. Gary in Langley. Gary, go ahead. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, without a doubt, Mike, it's White Christmas with Bing Crosby. Yeah. I started watching it with my parents when I was a little guy. I have it recorded on my TV. This weekend will be my 62nd or 63rd time watching it. All right. All right. Yeah. Der Bingle. You got to love Bing Crosby at Christmas. Do you like the Bing Crosby movies, Kurt? Yeah. I mean, those movies are classic yeah. for a reason. They've been around for decades at this point. So, yeah, definitely classics. Okay, we're talking best Christmas movies of all time. Lots of callers on the line. Real quickly, producers Tim French and Corey Latondra, we don't want to leave them out here because it's Christmas time. So their favorites, right, ranked right up there, one of their favorite all time, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Let's listen. Five o'clock, solve world hunger. Tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, yes, dinner with me. Son. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with myself loathing. I'm booked. <laughs> okay. Um, Kurt, what did you think of the Jim Carrey Grinch movie? I mean, I remember they got some bad reviews when it came out. What did you think of it? I mean, I was younger at the time, so yeah, you're a little bit more critic-proof when you're a child, and uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it at the time. I've gone back and rewatched I think I kind of prefer the animated one uh, yeah. from a few decades back, but I mean, it's still a fun movie. It's just Jim Carrey kind of overtakes that movie, as he does with a lot of other movies, so... Yeah. I just looked at Roger Ebert called that movie dank, eerie, and weird... But I think that Jim Carrey's performance has has uh, been more appreciated over time. Okay, let's go to the phone calls. Vince in White Rock. Hi, Vince. Go ahead. Oh, ho, ho. The, if Christmas wouldn't be Christmas if it's the 1951 Alistair Sims starring as Scrooge. Scrooge, Humbug. yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic. Yeah, that's that's a classic. The classic Scrooge film. Kurt, what do you think of it? Oh, yeah, that's a great movie that has uh, stood the test of time. And there's so many different iterations of that story. But that's one that definitely people should check out. Yeah, for sure. That one's a timeless one, for sure. John and Kamloops. Hi, John. Go ahead. I'd say also Alistair Sims. Scrooge. Yeah. Didn't he do Christmas Carol in 1938, too? I think he did a... Uh, Alistair Sims. Kurt, do you yeah, know? I think he uh, sorry, I couldn't quite hear the question. What was it again? Did he do? Ask your question again. Didn't he do uh, a Christmas Carol in 1938 to Alistair Sims? I don't recall, don't recall off the top of my head, unfortunately. Let's go to the next call. We got uh, Malcolm in North Vancouver. Hi, Malcolm. Go ahead. Uh, 1938 was Reginald Owen, and that was a Christmas Carol. That's okay. A great one. Scrooge is where Alistair Sim comes in and just makes it. And to make some levity, 
a Charlie Brown Christmas. You can't lose with Linus and Lucy and the Vince uh, Garaldi trio. It's those are my classics. The rest of them, and Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Where oh, come on now! You're gonna get, we're going we're gonna to get into a, a fight here now. Come on, it is it is <laughs> a, it a is a Christmas day. movie. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I I think it is a Christmas movie. Okay, a Charlie Brown Christmas is of course classic TV uh, TV special, not not a movie, but it's got to be ranked right up there. I would agree. I would agree with the caller there. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Kurt, your thoughts. Oh yeah, that's a great one. I mean, any of the yeah. Charlie Brown holiday stuff, you can fit it in all year round. There's some stuff there for every time of the year. Yeah, yeah, and the soundtrack is awesome too. One of the great jazz pianists there, Vince Guaraldi with the soundtrack. Adam and Langley. Hi, Adam. Go ahead. All right. So I have a family connection with Catherine O'Hara, so I always watch Home Alone. But my all-time favorite is The Family Stone. The mm. Family Stone. Do you know that one, Kurt? Yeah, that's a bit of an obscure one, but that's a great one. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a bit of an older movie, too, from what I recall. But, uh, yeah, 2005, so it's a bit of an older one. But that's kind of like one of those rom-com kind of holiday movies. Uh, you know, got a bit of comedy elements. Uh, yeah, not really talked about that much, but it's it's an okay movie. I don't know if I would say truly a classic, but yeah. Okay, Adam, are you still there? What is your family connection to Catherine O'Hara? I'm curious. Oh, my grandmother is her cousin. Oh, cool. Well, you know what? She, yeah. she did an awesome job in that film, in Home Alone. You know, the the, the oh, yeah. scene at the end where they finally reunite with Macaulay Culkin and she gives him the hug. I mean, it's just so nice. Just so sweet. Adam, thanks for the call. Deb in Victoria. Hi, Deb. Go ahead. Oh, I think uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. That is just my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so funny. Really, really great. Kurt, your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's funny with that movie, though, because if many people watched it on TV and then you watch uh, it on Blu-ray or whatever else, you find there's some scenes that they definitely cut out from that movie that, uh, you know, make its way into the Blu-ray cut. But regardless of which version you watch, it's a good movie. Oh really? Oh, okay. So what kind of yeah. what kind of scenes are included in the Blu-ray that you don't typically see? Oh, there's just typically like a little bit more racy kind of humor, okay. uh, more vulgarity. Yeah, because they cut that out for the TV version, right? So it's interesting because I usually watch the TV version, but a few years back I watched the Blu-ray and I was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, there's a little bit more in this than I was expecting. Oh. Okay, now now I want to go get the Blu-ray for sure and watch it. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell, talking your your favorite Christmas movies. Mike and Vernon. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Morning, guys. A, um, a Christmas story always works. You can't go wrong with uh, the famous phrase, you'll lose an eye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and the, the tongue on the pole. Uh, yeah. The famous, uh, the, the most famous, uh, or no, the fiercest furnace fighter in the Northeast. I mean, there yes. are so many great lines in there. The dogs running through the house, stealing the dinner, you know, the Chinese restaurant at the end. It it just never ends, right? You know. It is a great one. That's another one that will stand the test of time. Darren McGavin always always liked his work, and uh, he does great in that movie, too. Star 98 is the number to call in your cell. Star 98. Okay, Norman West Kelowna. Hi. Hey. Uh, yeah, Christmas story. I agree with Mike there. That was my family completely. 
That was your family. That was like your family, was it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right down to the old guy messing with the furnace. <laughs> Okay, a lot of love for that, Phil. Star 9898 is the number to call toll-free on yourself. Mike and Burnaby. Hi, Mike, go ahead. How you doing? I'm good. What do you think? What's your favorite? Mary! Mary! It's a wonderful life. <laughs> Merry Christmas, you old savings and loan. Yes. Mary! Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. Isn't that one, Kurt, that um, A Wonderful Life, uh, wasn't it considered uh, during the Red Scare kind of communist propaganda? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I do know it was uh, a pretty critical flop, though, when it came out, or a commercial flop. Like, it's funny that it's considered a classic now, but when it came out, it was uh, a little bit dead on arrival. But, of course, it's found a new lease on life later on. That's interesting how some films like that will flop. You, you wouldn't think that would be a flop now, and now yeah. it's an absolute classic, Jim, Jimmy Stewart. and um, Yeah, so that, that is interesting. Mike, thank you for the call. Doug and Kamloops. Hi, Doug, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think Miracle on 30, 34th Street is tops the list for me. Okay, I, I like that one too. Kurt, your thoughts? Oh, yeah, that's another one of those classics. Again, a story that's been done a couple times, but I think if you watch the original, that's the best version to watch. Yeah, that's that's one where sometimes the remakes and repetitive remakes of some of these classics, don't they they usually don't hand, hold up when you compare it to the original, right? I think that's a good example. Lisa in Surrey. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Yeah, I like the movie um, called Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart. It's... Uh... It's a comedy, but it's hilarious. Like a Christmas rom-com? Is that what we got going on? I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's called Just Friends. Um, Just Friends. Kurt. Yeah. Kurt, have you seen that one? Yeah, that's a, it's a bit more of a older movie, too. came out in 2005. Uh, I think I've watched that movie like a couple decades ago. It's been a while. But uh, yeah, not sure I would necessarily say it's a holly, our Christmas classic. But uh, yeah, it's it's got some Christmas themes in it and imagery. Kurt, thank you for coming on today. Merry Christmas to you. It's always fun to do this every year. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.